More than once during my growing up years, I can remember my dad saying these simple words, Son, you can learn the easy way, or you can learn the hard way. Now, I think at the time, he was reminding me that in life, you can choose to learn by being teachable and self-disciplined. That's the easy way, and it results in fulfillment and rewards in life. Or you can choose to learn by being willful and undisciplined. That's the hard way. And it will result in regret and in consequences. At the time, my father was applying this impeccable logic to help me handle the teen pressures of the use of tobacco and respect for authority and underage drinking and drugs and sexual compromise and cheating and lying and laziness. And I believe my dad was right. The lessons of life and living are sure to be learned, either the easy way or the hard way. And have you noticed that all too many people, all too often, choose the hard way? And their names tend to be well known to us. Lance Armstrong took performance-enhancing drugs and then lied about it for years, actually. And he's been stripped of all his titles and banned from the sport of cycling. Tiger Woods, just his name, means to people, I think, as much a serial adulterer as a golfer. Jesse James, both the outlaw and the former Mr. Sandra Bullock, he learned the hard way. Lindsay Lohan is back in the news, and she continues to take the hard path, the hard way, and it's really sad to see a 20-year-old Miley Cyrus kind of following in her footsteps. Bill Clinton took the hard way. He was impeached. He was actually impeached. Now, he didn't resign as president, but he was impeached and shamed. Mary Kay Letourneau left her husband, left her family to make a life with one of her junior high students taken the hard way. And of course, these names that are well known to us, and there are many more, make the list long, but it's made a whole lot longer by the hordes of regular folks like us who choose the hard way in life rather than the easy way. Last week, I was in Nashville with Kayleen. We were celebrating our wedding anniversary, and I love to read biographies, and I thought in Nashville I'd kind of get a the flavor of Nashville, so I picked up at the bed and breakfast where we were staying uh, the biographies of Roy Orbison and Johnny Cash, and I read those biographies. You remember uh, Roy Orbison, kind of a distinctive-looking guy. This is only the lonely and pretty woman. That's Roy Orbison. And then uh, Johnny Cash, he, he was uh, in his younger years here, I Walked the Line, and uh, Ring of Fire. I was struck by the similarities between the lives of these two country stars. Both were raised in poverty. Both had Christian influence early on. Both of them had talent, and they had fame, and they had prosperity that they could not handle. 
Both chose to learn the hard way in life, and so their stories include materialism and hedonism and antagonism that led to alienation and depression and addictions. Johnny Cash actually came back to the Lord and occasionally sang and testified at Billy Graham crusades, but still, the consequences of his wayward years, they were extreme by his own admission. Well, folks, have you thought about the fact that God can be known the easy way or the hard way? Now, the easy way is referenced in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, where Paul speaks of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. And then later in Romans 11.22, consider therefore the kindness of God, kindness to you, provided that you continue in His kindness. In our better moments, we know it's true that God is a God of love and mercy, far beyond our biggest ideas about it. But He's also a God of wrath, and He is a God of judgment. And 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 reveals the balance. It says, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the road forks in front of all of us, and you may or may not choose to acknowledge God in your life. You may or may not choose repentance. But if you don't, if you don't choose repentance, you're rejecting God's revelation of Himself to you in creation, in Jesus, in the Bible. And that's the easy way to know Him. That is the easy way to know Him. And instead, you're choosing to learn about Him the hard way. And the hard way, in effect, is the choice to perish, the choice to experience the wrath of God, and it is a personal choice. Now, I know very well that a message about the wrath of God is not politically correct today, but I also know that biblical truth trumps political correctness. You see, God's character and nature are not up for a vote in spite of this statement that was written by a formerly professed Christian by the name of Mel White. Here's what he said. Some might say, I would be wise to swallow my misgivings about stuff like God's wrath and judgment and hell and remain orthodox and thereby secure my place with God in eternity. But that's precisely my point. If those things, wrath, judgment, hell, are true, then God might as well send me to hell. I have standards for my God, the first of which is this. I will not worship any God who is not at least as compassionate as I am. As stunningly illogical and egotistical as this sounds, it's really not unusual for some today to weigh in with this kind of cavalier attitude where the character of God is concerned. But this statement I just read represents the mindset of someone who is determined to learn the hard way, that there are some dark lines in God's face. 
As we begin, I want to be sure we're all on the same page in our understanding of the wrath of God. So let's take a look at a key verse today. This is from Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed. Not was, not will be. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, when we think of wrath, we think of it as a kind of a capricious loss of self-control. We think of it as an irrational outburst of anger that is quickly regretted. We, we think of wrath as a violent mood swing fueled by wounded pride or a bad temper. But did you know the Greeks actually had a word for this very kind of anger? They had a word for it. It is the word thumoi. Thumoi in the Greek. But in this passage in Romans 1, when it talks about the wrath of God, you do not find the word thumoi. You find the word orge. And here's what Robertson says about the word orge in the Greek. New Testament describes orge wrath as the temperament of God towards sin. Not rage, not rage, but the wrath of reason and law. Now, you see, as human beings, we fly off the handle. God never does. We get angry for the wrong reasons. God never does. We fail to get angry at the things we should. God never does. Our anger comes and goes. It intensifies and subsides. The wrath of God is consistent at all times. So don't think of the wrath of God as an emotion. Can you just purge that from your mind? The wrath of God is a deeper moral indignation. God's wrath is not personal. It's not rage like we human beings might exhibit. Instead, His wrath is the God-ordained consequence of sin that is built into our God-created and God-inhabited universe. Take a look at what C.K. Barrett says about it. Wrath is God's response to the sin that spoils His creation, that wrecks havoc in the lives of His children, and imposed the suffering and death of His own Son on the cross. Wrath is a facet of the character of God. It is a fixed attribute of His being because God is love. God is also wrath. You cannot excise wrath from His revelation of Himself as love. Someone put it this way very well. God's wrath is His love in the presence of sin. Think of it this way. You cannot help but hate the cancer that threatens the life of your child. Love for your child demands it. You cannot help but hate the warfare that's claimed the mental health of your brother. Love for him demands it. You can't help but hate the divorce that has disrupted the peace and joy of your once happy home. Love for your family demands it. If God does not respond to sin with wrath and judgment, He cannot be good. And He cannot be holy. And He cannot be love. And He would not be God. 
one question before we move on. Do you have God's kind of wrath in you? Do you hate the things He hates? Do you love the things He loves? Do you, do you hate godlessness and wickedness? Do you hate hearing about Assad dropping napalm bombs on schools in Syria? We hate godlessness and wickedness, but at the same time, we love people. As Christians, we condemn sin, but we do not condemn sinners. We love them. So let's get our inner lives in alignment with the character of God here. Okay, pastor, <laughs> enough already with the theology. Give me some practical stuff. Okay. Here I want to say two things to you this morning from the Word of God about the wrath of God in Romans 1. First thing I want to say is this. God's wrath is justified because of man's rejection. Verses 19 to 23 there in Romans chapter 1. What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Now, the Bible says that all people have evidence of God. All around us, we see it, we hear it, as well as subjectively within. Here it is. Our physical senses affirm the reality of God, and our inner senses confirm the existence of God. Let me tell you, it's well illustrated in the story of Helen Keller. Helen Keller was a year and a half old, 18 months old, when she was struck by a mysterious disease that left her blind, deaf, and dumb. Her family hired Ann Sullivan to take care of her and to teach her. And through the tireless efforts and the selfless efforts of Ann Sullivan, Helen Keller learned to communicate through physical touch. Now think about it. She's blind. She can't see. She's deaf. She can't hear. She cannot speak. Ann Sullivan, you remember if you've seen The Miracle Worker, the play, she puts, she puts Helen's hands under the water, and Helen feels the water, and then Ann Sullivan spells out water in her hand. She learned to communicate. And when Ann first told Helen about God, the girl's response was, she already knew about Him. She just didn't know His name. Friends, God has given us enough revelation about Himself so that no one will ever be able to stand and say, God, I never knew You existed. God's revelation of Himself through creation, 
can clearly be seen by all being understood from what has been made. And even in ancient times, before they had invented the telescope, before they had invented the microscope, the vastness of the macrocosm and the intricacies of the microcosm testified to the existence of God, the reality of God. Even when people didn't have telescopes, they could look up and see the sun and the moon and the stars and the sunrises and the sunsets and the cycles of the seasons. And even though they didn't have microscopes, they knew that you put a tiny seed in the ground and it grows into a giant tree. How does that happen? They knew about the miracle of human conception and birth. All are reminders of the design and the complexity and the order in this God-created universe. But although men and women are innately conscious of God's eternal power and divine nature, they are just as inclined to reject that knowledge. Look at the way Donald Gray Barnhouse puts it in this powerful statement. Will God give man brains to see these things, and will man then fail to exercise his will toward God? Sadly, both things are true. God will give man brains to smelt iron and make a hammer and nails. God will grow a tree and give man strength to cut it down and fashion a handle from its wood. And when man has the hammer and nails, God in Christ will put out His hands and let man drive nails through them into a cross as the supreme demonstration that men are without excuse. In our text, Paul reviews several ways in which people, both then and now, demonstrate their rejection of God. Some people reject God by just not glorifying Him as God. That's in verse 21. Now, the primary reason that we have been given the gift of life itself is to glorify God by reflecting His character. Be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. The Westminster Confession says it well, the chief end of man, here it is, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Well, then people reject God by not giving thanks to Him. Verse 21 as well, Jesus said that His Father gives good gifts to His children. James chapter 1 verse 17 says that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift still. Some people refuse to thank God because for some strange reason it makes them uncomfortable to acknowledge His existence. And then people reject God because their thinking is futile. That's mentioned in verse 21. And this is why we've got to protect our minds from dwelling on the useless, dwelling on the pointless, dwelling on the trivial. Just don't give too much of your eyes and ears, don't give too much of your mind to the worldly things that will crowd out your thoughts of God. Not long ago, I got in the mail from American Airlines notification that I was going to lose my frequent flyer miles if I didn't use them. Well, we didn't have any flights planned anywhere. I needed to use my frequent flyer miles. Didn't have enough points for a ticket anyway, but I could get some magazine subscriptions. So I looked at the list. I didn't recognize anything that was on that list, but I thought, well, I've got to choose three magazines, so I'll take this one, Western Horseman. 
I got that because I have some granddaughters who love to ride horses, and I'm going to be popular with them. I'll give them the copies of Western Horsemen. And then there was another one called, called um, uh, Cooking Light. I thought, that's great. I'll give that one to Kayleen so she can cook for me, please. For, it's for me. And, th- and then I thought, well, what else here? What else? Uh, how about this one? People. I checked People magazine. Needless to say, I won't be renewing my subscriptions to any of those magazines. My frequent flyer miles are gone, and I can tell you anything you want to know about the royal couple. (laughs) As if I'm interested in that. You know, they're just, you just, there's so much stuff out there, folks. Lists and lists of magazines, stuff on the internet, stuff on your iPhone. You can't get away from it. There's an information explosion, all kinds of ideas trying to gain entrance into your mind through the primary orbs of your eyes and ears, but you've just got so much space up there. So don't allow your thinking to become useless, pointless, trivial. People also reject God because their foolish hearts are darkened. Verse 21 again, The person who rejects God does not become enlightened and free on the inside as some claim, but rather spiritually dark and slave. Because if you reject God, you reject ultimate wisdom. If you reject God, you reject understanding. If you reject God, you reject truth. People also reject God because of their arrogance. That's in verse 22. Here's what it says, although they claim to be wise. They became fools. When evangelist Dwight Moody was conducting evangelistic meetings, he frequently faced hecklers who strongly disagreed with him. And in the final service of one of his campaigns, an usher handed Moody a note as he walked up on the platform. It was from an atheist who had been heckling Moody and causing quite a lot of trouble. Upon opening the note, Moody found there was only one word written on the note. It said, fool, exclamation point. Moody announced to the crowd, folks, I have just been handed a note which contains only a single word, fool. This is most unusual. I've often heard of someone who has written a letter and forgot to sign his name, but this is the first time I've ever heard of anyone who signed his name and forgot to write the letter. Taking advantage of the situation, Moody promptly changed his message text that night to Psalm 14.1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Friends, God is alive and well. He's revealed Himself in creation, in His written Word, the Bible, in His living Word, the Lord Jesus. And our human intellect can be used to reinforce our faith, or our human intellect can be used to reinforce our doubt. And we wisely submit to God, or we foolishly deny His existence. Well, then it says people reject God because of their false religion. It says they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images 
literal idols of long ago, literal idols in other cultures, have been replaced in our modern age by devotion to career, sex, power, fame, education, success, money, beauty. God's wrath is justified because of man's rejection. Here's the second thing I want to say about God's wrath this morning from Romans 1. It's justified because of man's rebellion. Look at verses 24 to 32, nine verses. Paul says three times in verse 24, 26, and 28, God gave them over. It says God gave them over to their sinful desires, verse 24. God gave them over to their shameful lusts, verse 26. God gave them over to a depraved mind, verse 28. In other words, God's wrath is expressed when He withdraws His restraining presence and the consequences of a person's sin are inflicted on their life. I want you to see this this morning, that God's wrath is more passive than it is active. It is more reluctant than it is retributive. God's wrath is Him saying, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. God merely allows sin to run its course. One author described it as God ceasing to hold on to the boat that's constantly being dragged by the current of the river. It's God permitting people to go the way they insist on going. He eventually releases us to our self-destructive choices. I see it in the words of Jesus in Luke 15 when He tells the story of the prodigal son. The son goes to his father and says, I can't wait for you to die. Give me my inheritance now. He takes it and leaves. And his father gave him over. Do you think the father wanted him to do that? No. But he permitted it. He allowed it. Eventually, the boy came to himself in the pig pen of a Gentile, and there he experienced his father's wrath in the form of his father's permission to let him go and find himself. And he came to himself, and in humility and brokenness, he returned to his father. And the father is there with the robe and the ring and the arms and the embrace and the kiss and the party and the friends and the celebration. Yes, that's the wrath of God. steps back and lets his son go. He turns him over, but when he comes to himself and he returns to the father's house, the father is right there to receive him. That's the wrath of God. In this section of the New Testament, we also have one of the passages that directly addresses sexual sin. Take a look. Verse 24 speaks of sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Most people who are familiar with Romans 1 are familiar with these verses especially. Verse 26, women who exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. Verse 27, men who abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. God gave them over to this. It's what they insisted on. It's what they wanted. It's the way it was going to be. God gave them over. 
But listen now. You keep reading in Romans 1, and you move from chapter 1, verse 27, to verse 29 and 30, and you can add these things to the list. Greed, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanderers, insolent, arrogant, boastful, disobedient to parents, heartless, ruthless. All are expressions of depravity that will incur the judgment of God if not for the grace of our wonderful Lord. And remember, like God, we despise all the sins in this list from verse 24 to verse 30. But we love the sinners because of such were some of us until we were saved, until we were redeemed. John the Baptist contrasted the basic choice between the easy way and the hard way of knowing God when he testified about Jesus in John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That is the easy way. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on Him. The essence of God's wrath is to give, give people what they choose, nothing more, nothing less. And when you hear the expression, the wrath of God, I hope, I hope it gives you pause. I hope you stop and think. And remember that God does not give up on people. Listen, He may give them over, but He does not give them up. His desire is if we are in a far country and we come to ourselves, we return to the Father, following Jesus the way to the superlative life that He wants for us. That's what we want because it's only through Jesus that we escape the wrath of God. It's not through our goodness. It's through Jesus, Romans 5, 9. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? So we all have a choice, don't we? We can learn the easy way or we can learn the hard way. And God sent His Son to earth knowing that we would make wrong choices, but He doesn't want us to suffer His wrath. So Jesus came, and He suffered it for us on the cross, the physical pain, the emotional pain, the spiritual pain. And here's my own paraphrase of Isaiah 53, 4-6. Yet it was our grief He bore, our sorrows that weighed Him down, our troubles that caused His punishment. He was wounded and bruised for our sins. He was chastised that we might have peace. He was lashed, and we were healed. We're the ones who strayed away like sheep, leaving God's path to follow our own. Yet God laid on Him the guilt and the sins of each and every one of us. That's the wrath of God. Absorbed by Jesus in our place for our sins on the cross. And friends, here's the 
absolute greatest invitation to which any of us will ever respond. It is the invitation of Jesus himself in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Listen to his words. Come to me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So don't choose to learn the hard way, the way of wrath today. Choose instead to learn the easy way, the way of grace. And if you have a decision to make about Christ this morning or about Crossroads, we invite you to come as we stand together.